Welcome to the Knox Podcast, featuring a sermon from the Knox Evangelical Presbyterian Church in Kenmore, New York. For more information about Knox Church, visit our website at knoxepc.com or email us at office at knoxepc.com. To request prayer, send an email to pastor at knoxepc.com. If you open your Bibles with us, we're continuing our trek through Galatians. Look at this, we're in Galatians 2 already. Uh, looking at the first 10 verses of Galatians. Open to page uh, 1128 in your few Bibles, if you'd like to. But please stand. Show respect as we read God's holy word today. Galatians 2, 1 through 10. Paul continues his testimony saying this. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation and sat before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles in order to make sure that I was not running or had not run in vain. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, although he was Greek. Yet because of a false brother secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus, so that they might bring us into slavery, to them we did not yield in submission for even a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. And from those who seemed influential, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived that the grace was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing that I was eager to do. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come before your word again today, may it move us, may it convict us, may it prompt us into action, may it bring us into a deeper awe and understanding and reverence of you. Lord, we thank you for these words in your name. Please have a seat. In 2017, the Atlanta Police Department made a rather shocking and disturbing discovery. They've been following reports that there were inmates from a local federal prison that had somehow been escaping out into the city. And so after some investigation, they found out that yes, indeed, Inmates were escaping their cells, and they had cut holes into the fence. They had found places where the security cameras and the guards weren't looking, and they were leaving the federal prison, which is a bit of a problem. But that's not the disturbing part. That's not the really strange part. The strange part was that the inmates were leaving the prison, going into the city, buying contraband, such as liquor and cigar and electronics, and then they were sneaking back into prison. They were letting themselves out on furlough, and then they would sneak back in, and nobody was the wiser. 
They'd been doing this apparently for years. For years they had been escaping captivity only to be going right back into it. And I find that a little odd. You know, like, why would you want to flee from captivity just to turn around and go right back in? But it seems crazy to us that this might happen. Of course, that keeps their prison record pretty good. I could maybe understand that. But the reason I share that with you is as crazy as that seems, that somebody would escape prison just to go right back into it, it's exactly what had been happening to the, uh, the, the Galatians here in this letter. It's also what had been happening to several of Paul's previous churches, which is why he's sharing some of these testimonies from his life. He's not just spinning a tall tale or just saying, well, let me talk about myself for a long time. He's saying, I've been there. I've done that. I've gotten the t-shirt. Let me share with you the same situation that happened a long time ago that I see is happening in your church right now. And let me tell you this, if Paul encountered this, the Galatians encountered this, we, as a Christian church today, no doubt encountered the same phenomenon. The phenomenon of people escaping the captivity of sin, escaping legalism, escaping the bounds of guilt and shame, and then turning around and going right back into that slavery, right back into that captivity. In 2018, just a year after that whole thing that happened with the Atlanta jail, a team of surgeons out in Connecticut, a team of 12 surgeons, gathered together and performed a surgery for five hours on a woman to take out a tumor. And this was very notable because why did it take so many people so long? Because the tumor she had inside of her was 132 pounds. It had been growing at a rate of 10 pounds a week. Can you imagine having something inside of you growing at 10 pounds a week? To the point it was just squeezing her organs. She felt crushed and compressed. She could barely breathe. And she went in for this surgery and they took out this giant ovarian tumor. And they put, I mean, there's pictures of it. It's disgusting, but how big it got. And they said the next day she woke up and she got back to her life. And she said it felt like a, literally a weight had been lifted from her. I mean, can you imagine having 132 pounds, suddenly losing it overnight? I mean, best diet ever. I would love, love that sort of feeling. But how, how light you would feel, how exuberant you would feel, that suddenly this thing that was weighing you down is now gone from your life. Well, something weighs down every single person in this world and it weighs far more than a 132-pound tumor. It's the weight of our sin, the weight of our guilt. It's knowing that we have no way to be right with God, no way to cast off the shame of our actions. It's living with that knowledge, the weight of the knowledge, that at the end of your life, you will be facing a living death forever. It weighs you down. It binds you. And it's only with grace that the, this weight is surgically removed from your life, that you are made free, that you can start living for real. And so this is the message that Paul had been preaching to the Gentiles throughout all of his early ministry. He says, listen, grace in Jesus Christ alone, this gift of grace is sufficient enough for salvation. No more, no less, just 
grace, grace alone. Yet even while some of these Gentiles had converted to the faith, Paul started to see that there was a growing faction in his early church back then. A faction that said, well, grace is good, but there needs to be a little bit more on top of that. That you need to top that grace with something extra to really make it work. And if that's something extra, why not something extra a little bit more? And then a little bit more, and then a little bit more, until there's this towering structure of things that you need to do to become saved. So Paul saw this growing movement in his early church. He said, I need to nip this in the bud. This is preaching heresy. This is movement that has started where you call these false brothers in the church. And he started to worry about something else entirely. He said, well, if this movement is starting in my church that says you don't just need grace, you need grace plus other things, what if this whole movement is infecting the core church in Jerusalem? What if this is what everybody's preaching now? I need to go down to Jerusalem and I need to find the truth. I need to investigate because it's either one of two things. Either they're preaching grace alone or they're preaching grace plus other things. In which case, we have two churches preaching two different messages. I need to find the truth. I need their help. If, if they're on board with what I preach, I need their help to bring back their authority and their message so that we can stop this movement. So Paul decides that the best thing he could do as he goes down to Jerusalem is to pack up one of his star converts, a Gentile named Titus, a guy who had not become circumcised, was not a Jew. He says, come down, be exhibit A, and I want you to meet all these Jewish Christians in Jerusalem. Years before this, many years before, Jesus told his disciples these words. He said, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Now hold on to that phrase. Hold on to those words, because those are so vital when it comes to our salvation. The truth will set you free. What are we being set free from? What are we being set free toward? We're being set free from our shame and our guilt and the burden of our sin. We're having that excise removed, surgically removed from our bodies. But we're being set free toward Christian liberty, toward a freedom in Christ that we didn't have before. And for those of us who have traveled down that road, that path into salvation, Jesus says it is our duty and our responsibility, once we are saved, to turn around and help other people also navigate down that path. To say, hey, listen, I've been down this road. I have found this freedom. Let me show you how to get there. Back when I lived in Detroit, we went to a church downtown. I heard about this church, and I wanted to go visit it because it was one of the original churches that was a participant in the Underground Railroad. And in fact, in their basement... Uh, they had an entire museum set up and an interactive living experience that you could go through. And we said, that sounds incredible. So uh, I brought some people down and we went through this living experience to know what it was like during the Civil War and this period leading up where they had this whole network of people that would work together to bring slaves from the South up to the North and into freedom. And so we went through this experience. It was kind of interesting. I don't want to say cool. I don't want to really downplay what it was. It was really moving. 
Uh, but you would follow a person, an actor, playing one of the conductors of the Underground Railroad. And you would go room from room, and they had all these thematic rooms, and you would hide from the slave hunters in one room, and you would flee across fields and across rivers in another room, and they would kind of teach you and tell you stories along the way to give you a better experience. And as we went through this, one thing that really moved me and impressed upon me was how brave and courageous those conductors were as they would put their lives on the line to bring people up into freedom. And what really stunned me was I heard that a lot of these conductors used to be former slaves themselves. They were the ones that had been rescued. They were the ones that had been brought up out of slavery, and they could have just lived the rest of their lives in freedom. And yet so many of them turned around and said, I want to go back and help others find the same freedom. Harriet Tubman was one of those. She went back 12, 13 times to be a conductor on the railroad. The truth was too good to hold to themselves, and so they wanted to share it with those who were still suffering in captivity. It may not look like it to the untrained eye, but brothers and sisters, every day when we go out into this community, we are moving through a community of people who are still suffering in captivity. People who are suffering with the guilt of their shame, who are still suffering with the pain of their sin, who do not have answers in their life for how to deal with this, how to become right with God. They are bending over backwards to justify their lifestyles. They need people to point them down the path to freedom. They need conductors to lead them toward grace. So who is going to turn back? Who is going to say, follow me, and I'm going to guide you down the same path that Jesus Christ guided me? Well, when I was a kid, I often watched Looney Tunes cartoons every afternoon after school. You've got to get all that learning out of your head as quickly as possible, right? Come home, cartoons on the TV. Got to watch. And out of all the Looney Tunes, that, you know, they, different characters, the ones that always really interested me the most, for whatever reason, was the Roadrunner and the Coyote. The eternal struggle, right? Between the super fast meep, meep, Roadrunner and the crafty, wily Coyote. See, that Coyote apparently didn't have access to a buffet, and this poor bird was his only source of food. So he wanted that bird. He wanted to eat that bird so bad. And every single one of these Looney Tunes cartoons, same template, right? The coyote was crafty, and he would have all these gadgets, and he would do all these ridiculously elaborate traps, and he would hope that he'd get the Roadrunner. And it would look like the Roadrunner was going to fall for it. But at the last minute, the Roadrunner was too smart, too fast, and often would turn the trap right around on the coyote and... Uh, the Roadrunner would win. So to my knowledge, there's never been an episode where the Coyote won and the Roadrunner got trapped because I think that would end with the Coyote getting eaten and a lot of uh, very traumatized kids. Uh, so that just never happened. But I never forgot from those cartoons how hard and determined the Coyote was to trap that Roadrunner. He wanted him. He was doing everything in his power to get that Roadrunner under his domain. And the Roadrunner had to be so on guard all the time because he never knew when that coyote was coming. Well, in verse 4, as we look at Galatians chapter 2 today, 
Paul talks about some coyotes that have come into the church. He calls them false brothers. Man, that is a damning term to use toward people. False brothers. Not real, genuine brothers and sisters in Christ, but ones that look like them, act like them. Wolves in sheep clothing, we might call them today. He says they have infiltrated the church and they have this ultimate purpose of trapping Christians, of bringing them back from the freedom they have in Christ and bringing them back into captivity. So what is the trap? Well, both Paul's early church experience that he's sharing here and what the Galatians are going through is that they're dealing with a group called the Judaizers. And the Judaizers are basically so-called Christians who used to be Jews. They kind of wandered into this whole cult of Christianity. But they said, well, Christianity is all well and good, but we still think it's important because being Jewish is really important. We think it's important for all these new Christians to also become Jews. So they're Judaizers. They started telling everybody that if you're going to be a Christian, you have to still follow all of the Jewish laws. You have to become one of us. So they tell everybody, grace is not good enough to save you. That's, you know, grace is a new thing, but you need the new thing and the old thing. You need all this old stuff that from the Old Testament, all these old dietary and ceremonial laws that you have to become circumcised. You absolutely cannot be saved if you're not circumcised. You have to become one of us. Well, these false brothers were, in effect, promoting something that we see crop up a lot in the church today, which is legalism. Saying, here are a bunch of laws. Got to follow them. Whether or not God actually told you that you need to be doing it in this case. Legalism is anytime we really take God's law and we decouple it, we separate it from the original context, and then we start using that law in all sorts of ways to hurt and harm people. That we don't understand the spirit of the law. But perhaps the worst form of legalism is whenever we come up with our own ideas, our own traditions, our own rules, and we take out that stapler, and then we take the Bible, and we open it up, and we staple those rules and those laws into the page of the Bible, and then treat it like it's Scripture. And that legalism isn't new, that source of legalism. It's been all there for a long time. Because God told people in the New Covenant, He says, when you are in the New Covenant, you are saved by grace through faith alone. You do not need any more than this to become saved. Well, Judaizers would turn around and say, well, grace is nice, but you also need to take all these rules we think are important. All these rules that were, were in effect in the Old Testament, but Jesus said no longer need to be in effect. We still think Jesus was probably kind of mistaken in that regard. You still need to follow them. You have to be a Jew as well as a Christian. So they start creating a checklist of things you have to do to become saved. And this checklist becomes a burden. It becomes a weighing them down. And so Paul clearly sees the danger here. He sees the dangers that the Judaizers are bringing into the church. He says instead of having this far more inclusive crowd of Christians, you're taking what it means to be a Christian and you're making it so exclusive that it will make it restrict who's ever going to be coming into the church 
whoever's going to become saved until it's almost practically nobody. Because you're going to keep adding laws, you're going to keep adding rules. He says, listen, if anybody knows what it is to add rules, laws, and traditions on top of Scripture, it's a Pharisee. I kind of know all about that. And it's a horrible path to go down, and you do not want to go down that path. It says you're making Christianity exclusive, and you don't need to be doing that. And so that's why Paul is bringing Titus with him. Titus is his exhibit A. He wants to bring to the church of Jerusalem and says, listen, you've never maybe seen a Gentile convert before. You've never seen a Greek man who's become saved by grace through faith alone. Well, here he is. And guess what? Shocker, scandal. He's not circumcised. He's not a Jew. Meet Titus. Examine him. He brings him. He basically puts Titus on the spot and says to the Jewish leaders, of the, I'm sorry, the, the Jerusalem leaders of the church says, examine him. Pray with him. See if he's a Christian or not. And if he is, will you verify that we are saved by grace through faith alone or do we need other things? Do we need to become circumcised? Do we need to become Jews? Now, I'm not saying, standing up here saying that the laws of God are bad, that the laws of God need to be abandoned. There are some laws in the Old Testament, specifically the dietary and ceremonial laws that Jesus Christ said are no longer in effect in the New Covenant. The moral laws from the Old Testament are still in effect, still need to be followed. But what's important here is this, and please hear me clearly. God's laws are a way for us to live, not a way to salvation. They don't get you into salvation. You can live every single one of God's laws perfectly, and you're still a Pharisee on the outside with a whitewashed tomb, and you are not saved. You are saved by grace. And through that grace, you want to live a life that pleases Christ. And that way is by following his law. That's the difference and that's the distinction. So we have to be careful not to slip back into legalism in our church communities and say, well, you can't become a Christian until you do A, B, C, D, and E. Until you're living the kind of life that we think is appropriate for a Christian. That you're showing all these signs that we think all Christians should have. That you're dressing up in a certain way, you're acting in a certain way. No. That's, that's us adding on to the pages of Scripture. Jesus says, grace or salvation by grace through faith alone. It is no more than that. We must not bring people back into captivity. We can't be these false brothers that Paul talks about here. Well, I don't think any of the people of the early church, and I, I know we kind of read that and we look back at the early church in the pages of Scripture. We have this amazing 2020 hindsight. We know where it goes. We know where it leads. But imagine you're there on the scene and the early church is exploding around you. You have no idea where all this is going to end up. You don't have any idea it's going to spread to all the four corners of the world, that there's going to be all these Christians and all this movement, uh, all these uh, theology and and pastors and missionaries, all these things that are going to happen. You're just part of this movement. And a part of this movement means day after day are all these new revelations of how God is working in the church. And you're kind of just along for the ride. You want to see where all this is going to end up. And part of that prediction that you couldn't have predicted is, as Paul says here in verse 7, maybe you couldn't have predicted that God was going to bring the message of the gospel to the Jews as well as the Gentiles. 
Today, we take it for granted. We're a whole bunch of Gentiles in here, at least probably most of us. We're Gentiles. And we say, well, of course Christ brought the message to us. They, they didn't take that for granted in the early church. A lot of the people in the early church thought it was just to the Jews. And so it was a revelation, and it was wild that this was one of many signs that was being shown, that Titus and Paul were one of many signs that, yes, it was a more, far more inclusive message going out to the entire world, to the Jew and the Gentile. So day after day, month after month, there was this amazement, this joy in the early church as they saw how God would just lead them down the road, and they were just along for the ride. They watched the Spirit work. Well, this can be a hard lesson for those of us who are in ministry leadership to learn. Because we like structure, we like rules, we like predictability, we like to guide things. And the truth is, we're just following Christ. And whenever we try to get in front of God and say, well, God, follow me, follow my church the way we want to live it, do things we want to do, the church stagnates and withers and dies. Because that church is no longer following Christ. When we follow Christ, he leads us in crazy, unpredictable, wild places. So we need to be flexible in where God wants to lead us. That's why one of the, the prayers we pray over and over again in, in Knox, especially when we meet as elders every month, is, Lord, we have our agenda, we have all these things that we need to deal with, but where do you want to lead us? Let us be at the center of your will. Let us be followers of you first and foremost. Well, I know I bring up mission trips a lot in my sermon. I will try to really cut down on these mentions for stories. But I have to share just one more. So please bear with me as I share one more story from a mission trip of my past. About 10 years ago, we brought a group, a large group of teenagers to Indianapolis to do ministry there. And we split all the kids up into three groups with adults. And we went to three different ministries during the week. And so we gave the kids a choice, like, you know, do you like working with your hands? Do you want to do some construction? This group's going to go do some rebuilding and repainting. Do you want to go work with a VBS? You can go work with this group. Do you want to go work with a soup kitchen? You can go work with this group. And so the kids split up, and we had a great week. And Thursday morning over breakfast, I told everybody, I said, tonight we're going to have a worship service together. And this worship service is going to be a little bit different. It's going to be a time that's going to be led by the Holy Spirit. We want this to be a Spirit-led worship service. And so I told all the kids and adults, I said, bring whatever prayers you want to pray, whatever scripture you want to share, whatever testimonies you want to share, kind of like our God sightings. And so come, come tonight, and we're going to have a great time worshiping. We're just going to kind of see how it goes. I was proud of myself. I thought, man... I am being really flexible in this moment that I am not standing in front of them saying, we're going to do X, Y, and Z in this worship service. I'm just going to leave it open to the Spirit, see how it ha goes with that. I thought I was giving God a little bit of leeway. You're welcome, God. You know, you can, you can add this little bit of leeway here. Well, of course what happened was that evening came around and four scary-looking strangers show up to the same church service with us. You see, one of my teen groups had been working alongside uh, reformed convicts at one of the, the ministry groups. And they, they got into their heads that they should invite them, these guys 
who were all, by the way, tall, burly, tattooed, you know, like they had, they had metal in parts of their face, and I don't think God ever meant metal to be part of their face. They all looked at you, I mean, they were just scary-looking guys. And they invited, they said, yeah, you got to come. we got a worship service tonight. Come join us. And these guys were like, okay. And so they came, and I mean, I was watching all of the adults in that room as these guys came in, and all of them had these eyes that instantly, like, went to me. Like, Pastor Justin, you going to say something? And I'm like, you know, like, I'm not going to say anything. Uh, but they're all wondering, like, what's going on? What are these teenagers thinking in this moment? This was our little safe space. This was our worship service. It was nice and clean and predictable. Well, they were thinking of pleasing Jesus Christ. They were getting it in a way that I probably wasn't. They were thinking we should share the gospel with everybody who wants to hear it whether or not they look like us or not. And so they invited these four men in, and those four men had, man, they had testimonies to share. They were men who got on their knees, and they were crying, and they were saying, let me tell you about my life. And that worship service, the Spirit took it, and it was one of the most moving worship services I've ever been privileged to be a part of. And God told me in that moment, He taught me a lesson. He said, listen, you want to follow me, it's going to get wild and crazy and unpredictable, and you've got to be okay with it when it happens. Well, Paul was kind of wondering how the church is going to develop in this moment. And everybody's watching God as God moves and shapes the church, and Paul goes down with Titus to meet the church at Jerusalem. He says, you know, maybe this is going to be the worst meeting ever. And there's going to be a civil war, a faction, or a fracturing of the church into two different groups, the saved by grace alone group and the saved by grace plus other things group. And this could be just the worst thing ever. Instead, is a joyful discovery as he finds out they both believe the same things, that the church accepts in Titus, and that the church in Jerusalem is flexible that they're willing to follow God. They've been on board with God all along. Jesus Christ, following him in those three years, was as unpredictable as anything else the apostles had ever experienced. So why should it be different now that they're following the Spirit? And so the, the early church was flexible and was willing to say, listen, we've primarily been ministering just to the circumcised, just to the Jews, but we're seeing God's truth being spread throughout these other Gentile churches. We're not going to hinder you. We're not going to shun you. In fact, we're going to extend our hand of fellowship to you. And right here we see in this passage, Paul is telling the Galatians that this Jewish, primarily Jewish-focused ministry church extended their hand and entered into a ministry agreement, a partnership, with a church that was primarily reaching out to the Gentiles. They were saying, listen, we have different groups that we're reaching out to, but we're going to work together. We're going to pray together. We're going to support each other. And in fact, the, the Jerusalem church says, we just have one demand on you, Paul. And Paul says, uh-oh, here it comes, right? Here the other shoe is going to drop. He says, the church in Jerusalem says this. He said, Jesus Christ taught us that he has it on his heart to proclaim the good news to the poor. So please don't neglect the poor. And Paul says, I'm ahead of you. I, that's what I want to do. I have a heart for the poor. So we need to remember that tucked into this whole passage. It's talking about 
getting away from legalism and escaping into Christian freedom is a command for us to remember that our ministry, if we're following the wild, crazy ministry of Jesus, it usually almost always leads us out into the poor. The poor in spirit, the poor in finances, the poor in relationships, the brokenhearted, the people who need. And we are led to minister to them. Do not forget them. This, uh, Luke 4.18 says, Jesus proclaimed good news to the poor and wants us to do that as well. So the truth of grace not only frees us, but it keeps us from going back into captivity, from running back into that prison. Grace keeps us from that error as God leads the church into the future. Grace says to step back, see where God is going, and then just follow Him. Be on board with that. It's, you're not going to be able to predict where it's going to go. We have somebody visiting with us today said they hadn't been here for a very, very, very long time. And I'm sure uh, you, you interview somebody like that and you're going to get a church of Knox from a very long time ago and then a picture of it today. And there's going to be a big disconnect. Where the church has gone is going to be a crazy roller coaster of ups and downs and lefts and rights. And the church of Knox today isn't the same church as Knox's 2010, Knox of 2000, Knox of 1990, but it is the church of God. And it is where he has led us, and we can praise him, and we can just be on board for it, because he's here. He's doing amazing things. And we can just praise his name, and go along with him, and join him in that hand of ministry, and that hand of partnership that Paul and the churches here in Jerusalem model for us. So let's take that today. Grace sets you free. Don't ever go back into legalism, but rather follow Christ into the crazy freedom of the future. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for this second part of a testimony from Paul today in Galatians. Thank you for this simple but profound reminder that grace is what saves us, Lord. Not our own goodness, not our own history, not our, our ancestry, but Lord, it is simply you. It is a Christ who died, who was buried, who was resurrected, who turned around and said, follow me and I will give you an eternal resurrection. Lord, we thank you for this today. Please bless Knox. Please be at the center of all we say and do. Please help us to have the courage and the humility to follow you, Lord, and not the arrogance to say, this is where we need to go. Lord, we love you and we know that you love your church in your name. Amen. To reach out to Pastor Justin, email him at pastor at knoxepc.com. Our mailing address is Knox Church, 2595 Elmwood Avenue, Kenmore, New York, 14217. Join us for worship Sundays at 1030 a.m. either at Knox Church or on our live stream at facebook.com forward slash knoxepc. Past sermons can be found at knoxepc.com forward slash sermons. Thank you for listening.